It was on a night back in 1991. I was a high school senior, student directing the school play. I decided a night of bonding with my actors was in order, so we decided to take in Oliver Stone's newest film. And my teenage mind was blown. I had heard some of the music depicted in the movie, but like a lot of teenage boys, when I was exposed, uh, so to speak, to the icon of Jim Morrison, I was entranced. It was one of the first times I understood what the hype about the 60s and 70s music scene was all about. And if this was the shit that was in the water, I wanted to drink the Kool-Aid. Ladies and gentlemen, from Los Angeles, California, The Doors. I'll keep your eyes on the road, you hand upon the wheel. Welcome, groovy cats and kittens, to the holdup. Each month we pick a movie one of us remembers fondly but hasn't seen in years, we watch it and we decide, does it hold up? I'm John Longino. And I'm John Nelson. And welcome, here we are, to December, for right in time for Christmas, right little time. Oliver Stone, <laughs> little Jim Such Morrison. A, a totally appropriate movie for the holidays. Of course. I can't wait to watch it with you, Nelson. Uh, before we get to that, though, I should let everyone know that if they'd like to send us an email, they may do so at holduppodcast at gmail.com, or you can visit our website, holduppodcast.com, where you can find links to our Instagram page, our Twitter page, all of our social media accounts. But just in case you guys want more of a holiday vibe, we do have a little something special planned for the month of December. That is true. A little extra. We don't, you know, it's coming pretty soon. Yes, I, I am happy to announce that uh, later this month we will have a special episode. So not not a catch up, nope. and uh, I guess not a typical hold up. This is just a hold up holiday special. Yeah. In which, what are we going to be watching, John? We're going to be watching the Star Wars holiday special. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing but the top shelf, top tier. <laughs> Best quality stuff. Oh, yeah. The Star Wars Holiday Special, which, in case uh, you don't know, infamously has been uh, hidden from the world by George <laughs> Lucas, and you can only find it in bootleg copies. <laughs> Much like Song of the South, <laughs> it's hidden somewhere in the Disney vault for all eternity or until George Lucas dies. Oh, yes. So you can unwrap that present later this month. But until then, uh, Nelson, we are here to talk about Oliver Stone's The Doors. Yes, sir. So first and foremost, for uh, someone who doesn't know, I guess, what is The Doors? The Doors, man, is a biopic about uh, Jim Morrison and uh, a bunch of cats that he used to hang out with in the 60s in a recording studio, but they're not as important as Jim Morrison, man. <laughs> uh, or at least in, uh, in my memory of Oliver Stone's retelling of the story, it's all about Jim Morrison and the other and the other three in his band are, you know, they're fine. <laughs> sure. But uh, yeah, the story is about the doors, the formation of the doors and how they uh, sort of affected the music scene, man. Yeah. And this is a sort of a story that nowadays is is pretty common where we do like hey here's this here's this biopic about this artist and or usually musician and you know you got your rays yeah you got your walk the line and you know, your but, queen whatever the the bohemian, yes, bohemian rhapsody. rhapsody yeah but at this time that was you know i mean that's not really what oliver stone is known for and it didn't seem to be quite as like uh, you know, d typically done back in the, this was when was this like the nineties? This is ninety one, I think, because I was just about to graduate from college. Ninety one. Wow, I'm I sorry, was... uh, ninety one. I was going to graduate from high school. I mean, I'm dating myself and trying to <laughs> get away with four extra years, but no, I was I was about to graduate from high school. Got it. So yeah, I actually wow, I didn't realize it was that early in the nineties. So wait, when when did you see the Doors, and I how how many times have you seen it? I saw it opening night, man, and wow. uh, yeah, and then I saw it again. The next night, because I loved it when I saw it, and I was like, I have to see that again. Wait, wait, wait. You went back the day after you saw it and saw it in the theater again? Yes. Wow. I'm telling you, it it, it hit somewhere. It, it hit me either in the brain or below the belt or something. I don't know. It really, for whatever reason, I just really responded to it. And it has been sort of my default favorite Oliver Stone movie, though I am guessing, not to get too ahead of ourselves, I'm guessing... It probably hasn't aged as well as some of his other movies, but we'll see. Sure. We'll see. I mean, we've never done an Oliver Stone on this show, right? 
No, not I don't, to, I don't not actually, to my knowledge. I don't remember doing one. So I think this is our first no. Oliver Stone. I did something. So we, of, we didn't do JFK, did we? That that'd be one I think we might do. I think but, we've bandied doing JFK. Yeah, we just but we've never, never actually. We done didn't that get one. to it. And I've also tried to talk Longino into natural born killers, but oh, he keeps man. putting me off. Ooh. One day. Well, it's tough. You know, one of the things about the holdup is we have to remember liking the movie, and uh, well, it's trickier to do ones that one of us like absolutely despise. Only, only but- <laughs> one of us has to like it, though. That's I know. The, I, that's I, the real sure joy. I mean, we're not we're not here for natural born killers, but since it's come up for a brief moment, I you know I'll, I'll mention that a lot of people seem to really like that movie quite a bit. It obviously has a pretty big cult following. I've just never been a fan of it. I I've never really liked it. And so we've sort of joked about Oliver Stone and and Nelson's love of him and and my sort of deep sigh (laughs) at his works. However, The Doors is a film that I do remember really enjoying. And I didn't certainly didn't see it in 91 because I would have been pretty young. I'd have been like 10 years old or something. But I do remember specifically my mother who uh, was a music critic. Right. Your uh, mom showed like, me this movie. I mean, not to, you know, to completely derail us, but your mom was like a, a kind of a big music critic because she did like interviews with R.E.M. and yeah, shit. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Yes. She uh, she wrote uh, for the Atlanta Journal-Constitution in the 90s. And yes, she had interviews with R.E.M. and stuff. It was pretty, pretty cool. So yeah, and she was a huge music fan. Her main kind of area was country music, mm. but she certainly had a love for this kind of music, especially 60s music. I mean, that's when she was growing up and stuff. Right. So she loved the Beatles and she loved the Doors. Mm. And my memory of seeing the movie is she showed it to me like sometime, I think I was in like early high school or something. So I would have seen it like 95, 96, 97, some, something like that. That's I, the best I, time for a young man to see this movie because yeah. that's about when, you know, the legend will make sense. <laughs> but what's interesting, it, my mother showing it to me really framed a lot of my viewing of it. I really liked the movie, but a specific memory I have is my mom watching the movie with me and sort of like interjecting her own thoughts about <laughs> like the adaptation because she knew Jim Morrison very well. Right. And so I, the one memory I have very specifically is there's a point in the film where the doors are going to perform live on television. I think it's for like Ed Sullivan yeah, or something. Yeah, famously the yeah. Ed Sullivan show where they and, where they appeared and then never appeared again. Yes. And so, uh, you know, what? They're one of their most famous songs, Come On Baby, Light My Fire, uh, contains the lines, girl, we couldn't get much higher. Right. And there's sort of a scene in the movie where they sort of parlay they 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 talk with jim morrison and are like hey can you not say this line on live television and he's like yeah yeah, okay sure yeah (laughs) i won't and uh in the film uh, but val kilmer by the way plays jim morrison yes in the movie and he does this performance where when he gets to that line he really like leans into it where yeah, he's he like, overemphasizes yeah. it. Yeah. He goes like, Come on, baby, light my fire. It's like, good, we couldn't get much. Yeah. <laughs> it makes this like big deal out of it. And my mom watching it was just like, Hey, this is why movies uh don't show like actual reality. Cause she paused the movie and then pulled <laughs> up like the actual and this is the by the way, this is pre YouTube. It's not right. like she like went to the internet and sure. like pulled it up. She just like had it on tape. That's awesome. Throws it in and it's like, here's the actual performance. And he just ho-hums through it like it's nothing. Right. Like in the in reality, he's just like, yeah, you know, girl, we couldn't get much higher. Come on, baby. Let me. You know, he just wouldn't think anything of it. So she used this as this weird teaching lesson of like, this was a legendary moment, but in reality, it was kind of the way he performed. It was almost nothing, but the movie like made it seem like this huge thing. Right. And like the earth cracked in half when he said it. Yeah. So for whatever reason, that is my strongest memory of the movie, probably because my mom wanted to make this huge point and kind of stopped everything down for it. Right. Um, But I but I remember really enjoying the movie. Yeah. Well, I think that I mean. We can leap ahead to criticism, I guess. That's one of the biggest criticisms at the time and since. I mean, that's been Oliver Stone's... The thing that's been hanging over Oliver Stone's head for most of his career in most of his movies, which is like, it didn't happen that way. 
fucking hippie and <laughs> and he's like yeah but this is not life this is the movies man and you know oh, so the, this was like actually in the conversation when this film came out because, oh yeah oh that makes sense see my my only frame of reference is like my mom talking right. about it so i didn't realize that was actually like a a, a big criticism well, it was really interesting because I think, you know, I was in high school, like I say, which meant most of my teachers had been alive in the 60s and probably, you know, were Jim Morrison fans or not. I don't know. But, you know, my government teacher, I remember before I went to see the movie, I told, you know, he just like walked by me one afternoon while I was sitting at lunch or whatever. And he said, oh, what you doing on, you know, tonight? And I was like, oh, we're going to go see The Doors. He's like, oh, man, I really love The Doors. Tell me how it is. And then I came back and told him how it was. He's like, hmm. I don't sound like a band I remember, but okay, that sounds great. <laughs> you know what I mean? He was just like, oh, okay. But I, you know, I, I don't know. I, even as a kid, I was sort of like, I didn't think I was going to go see a fucking documentary. I knew what I sure, was sure. in for. And I had seen, I think, Platoon. That was the only Oliver Stone movie I would have seen to this point. And, but he was so super controversial even then. He'd done like, what, five movies by this point? And he was so controversial because of that. Because he was, his biggest detractors would always say like oh you're manipulating the truth or oh you're just telling the story from this little point of view or whatever and it's like well i mean yes oliver stone has a real axe to grind and he doesn't care to sh that he shows it but on the same by the same token that's what every filmmaker does it's just that you know depending on how heavy-handed they are about it you know I don't know. It's just like his movies are like super liberal, super like war is bad. Spoiler alert. You know what I mean? It's like, <laughs> sure, sure. But he, uh, yeah, for this one, it was sort of a departure because he, he had done, most of his movies were like based in some kind of reality, like Platoon. Even Scarface was based on like the, you know, the Cuban drug invasion oh, yeah. of USA. Um, now he, he wrote Scarface. He wrote Scarface. He, Brian De Palma directed Right. Scarface, and right? he okay. wrote Midnight Express, famously got the Oscar yes. for that. Okay. Uh, another thing that people accused him of like you're making this up he's like the guy said this is what he went through and then like 20 years later the guy's like yeah I made it up <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. Oliver Stone cementing his reputation but yeah I don't know I just I got a real kick out of it when I saw it, it was, part of it was it was just so big and epic and freewheeling and it, and it did completely over mythologize Jim Morrison. Sure. I mean, there's no way that the real human being was anywhere near this interesting. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> but Val Kilmer was super good in it. That was part of what I remember is like Val Kilmer like disappeared into this role. And again, I'd seen I like Val that. Kilmer and like Real Genius. We did that on the show way back when. He's in Top Gun, which we've also done. <laughs> so, you know, Iceman know. being Jim Morrison was uh, was something to behold. Yeah, that that makes sense. I mean, I you know, my memory of the movie is that it is yes, J it is Jim Morrison the movie. I mean, yeah, it's called The Doors, but it's it's entirely about Jim Morrison and I do remember it making him sort of a mythic figure. And I got to say as someone who is a fan of The Doors music, I you know, I listen to a lot of music from that time and there is something to Jim Morrison where it's like borderline, like, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if some <laughs> demon rised up listening to it. Like, he does seem like a weird witch doctor kind of something's going on there. Well, I mean, if you're looking at just the band, I, you know, I've thought a lot about this over the years because I got really into the Doors music after seeing this. Sure. I went out and bought all their records, records at the time. <laughs> um, yeah. And I just remember it being like. You know, because one of the guys played like organ instead of keyboard. Yep. They all were trying to, and I guess the movie sort of touches on this. They were all trying to compete for Jim Morrison for weirdness. And so you get the, and you know. <laughs> so he kind of is like a cult leader, honestly. Kind of. But yeah. I mean, bands were doing that anyway. Everybody yeah. was like trying to outdo the Beatles. And like the Beatles were trying to outdo the, the, the Beach Boys. And the Beach Boys were going crazy because they couldn't <laughs> outdo the Beatles. <laughs> Literally going insane right. or whatnot. I don't know. That was such a weird, and you know. Since I, you know, The Doors was sort of my first exposure. I was never really a Beatles kid, so, you know, The Doors was sort of my first big exposure to 60s music, and so through that gateway, I then, like, started listening to The Beatles and, like, The Stones and other things, and I sort of gained an appreciation for 60s music through that. So oh, interesting, because the house I grew up in, Beatles were like, you know, <laughs> deities, basically, right. like, you know, they might as well be on the doorway, you know, as I bow to them before I enter. Right. And well, so, yeah, my, my perspective, what's interesting, I hadn't heard that much uh, of the doors before I saw the movie. So, I mean, yes, the yes, the Beatles got psychedelic and they have experimental weird albums and stuff. But there's something about, I think the first time I heard the end. Right. Like. 
there's something, you know, <laughs> you get the idea that the Beatles are like playing dress up and like getting right. kooky, but then like take off their Sergeant Pepper uniforms and just go and like live normal lives. Like they're, you know, I don't know. The, I listen to the end and I'm like, this man is insane. Like <laughs> this man is a lunatic. And right. that's the impression I got watching the movie. It's just like this person's like not all there. Like, right. Well, like some of the best artists, he's, he's yes. yeah, he was completely kind of loopy. And, you know, again, it's hard to tell. You know, I've read a biography of Jim Morrison. I think actually the movie was kind of based on that biography that I read. So I've done some research into Jim Morrison. But again, people get really like odd about well they get odd about like him and john lennon and you know when they these over mythologized figures it's sure. like it's hard to get a real like lock on them because you think to yourself well at some point these guys like had to like go take a dump and eat a salad or whatever you know you don't get the real like day-to-day -day things you get all the like oh my god and then he stood atop a car and said i'm the lizard king and you know right everything he said was beautiful and majestic and and i just imagine that like the people that hung out with him a lot probably thought he was pretentious you know what i mean and and i think the movie kind of actually touches on that like his bandmates are like sick of him <laughs> right. as you get when you know you're when the public is kind of focused on the lead singer and not the actual rest of the musicians so that was one of the things I actually really liked about the movie, too, is it really kind of uh, showed me a thumbnail of the music industry. You know, I was still in high school and I was still like under the impression that movies sort of just made themselves and actors just sort of made right. up the dialogue and shit. So, you know, making a record, I had no idea what went into that, even though I was a theater kid, which is weird. But, you know, I just never thought, oh, yeah, people went to a studio and then recorded stuff and then sat for hours editing it together or whatever. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. Or you think it's old timey, like, you know. Elvis's first album where it's like hit record play the song we're done you know? like, yeah. <laughs> right exactly because that's the way it was in movies for a long time you know yeah. and then yeah yeah the idea that they're painstakingly recording all kinds of crazy shit right I mean that was part of 60s music that's what came out of that was like yeah. producing an album yes well yeah for sure they were going from like the live the, the live feel like you say to a whole like like yeah, stacking things and putting, you know, putting different sounds in. And the Beatles, of course, were just shoving whatever they could think of into their <laughs> into their records, like backtracking and whatnot. Anyway, we're kind of talking about the the doors, <laughs> the real doors, and we should be talking about uh, Oliver Stone. You've you've sort of touched on this. What is it about Oliver Stone that irritates you the most? Well, I, to be fair, I, there's plenty of his movies I like just fine. I mean, you've named some Oliver Stone movies. I like Platoon. I actually kind of love JFK. I mean, mm. it's it's you know, <laughs> I wouldn't call it like truthful, but but right. it is it is really entertaining to watch. It's I don't specifically have an issue with Oliver Stone like throughout his entire career. I think there's just this thing that happened uh, specifically with Natural Born Killers. <laughs> I think it being a film written by Tarantino gave me because you have to understand I saw it after I've seen like Reservoir Dogs and Pulp Fiction and right. other Tarantino movies. So it just seems like a failure to me. Like it's, <laughs> it's like this man does not get or understand what works about this kind of a story. Right. And so that that might be part of it. Like I just I just sort of despise Natural Born Killers. And I think people like really hold that one up as one of his best. And I just, ugh, like I can't stand watching it. And he sort of from there on... Like, I really like late 80s, early 90s, Oliver Stone, and then, like, late 90s to present, his movies are just irritating. Like, they're 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 not like Tony Scott over-stylized, but they kind of <laughs> might as well. But he just got, like, really into leaning into... You know, actually, you know what? Here, here's a good way to put it. I specifically remember a scene in The Doors where they go out to the desert and drop drugs, and it gets, <laughs> like, psychedelic and weird, right? right? And so that of course has a more stylized kind of trippy effect right i feel like oliver stone took that and then th from then on his movies were like just that right where he he took <laughs> the, the crazy like drug that's how natural born killers is it's like right. you're on drugs the whole movie basically and i just find that fatiguing and, and like annoying so i think i think he just took this over stylized turn yeah, well, I think he was really, I, I think he'd done enough war movies and political movies that he was trying at that point to try something different with film or whatever. And so I think he, he probably started with Natural Born Killers and then sort of extended it into JFK, right? Because JFK is kind of the same way. It's like, well, it's on 16 millimeter. Oh, it's on was film. Was JFK after Natural Born Killers? I'm trying to remember. I thought it was before. 
I, mm, I can't remember. Because here's the thing, JFK. I I think it's before. I could be wrong, but I think it's before. But I th- th- to me, the mixed media thing right. makes sense in JFK because. Right. You're, you're watching a movie. They're also dealing with the Zapruder film. They're also dealing with all these photographs. And right. all, like, it, it, it's also like newsreel footage. Yeah, there, flashbacks. And yeah. The, yeah. There's like reasons yes. to do it. So I think it works. In Natural Born Killers, there's just like no fucking reason. It's like, <laughs> oh, hey, it's a 80s sitcom now for reason and with a laugh track. <laughs> oh, it's black and white now. Now it's hyper color with like a fucking painting in the background. And there's just no... Uh, I, reason right and uh, that's what bugs me that was actually kind of what i liked about it the story itself i was kind of like i also saw natural born killers after i saw reservoir dogs and pulp fiction so i was ready for a different version of tarantino and so then i went into natural born killers knowing it was controversial because tarantino had sort of written it off and oliver stone had done a version he didn't like and i was watching and i was like some of this i love and some of this i think is stupid but like i admired the stylistic attempts because it was just he was just trying to go completely haywire with like media saturation and mtv editing had become the thing of the time and so all the directors were trying it out and so i can't remember i remember at the time hearing like it took like two or three months to shoot the movie and then like well over a year to edit it which nowadays i can't even imagine (laughs) but like yeah i just it fascinated me then and i haven't seen it in a while like maybe a decade and I'd be curious to go back and look at it again and see what I thought now that I was an editor because I, I didn't I haven't seen it since I became an editor and I'm really curious right. what I would think of it now but we're not talking about natural born <laughs> well I mean that does go to the question though uh Oliver Stone so you like what's like what's your favorite Oliver Stone movie probably JFK JFK okay it's just a really good movie. He made that weird, like you say, he sort of like started getting experimental and then like his movies started getting less and less interesting. Like, I'm trying to think of like, like any given Sunday. I'm like, I don't even remember what happened in that film. Yeah, Cause like, I, I couldn't tell you. Uh, and, uh, what was it? not Alexander? Is it Alexander? Alexander. Yeah. Dude, I didn't see that shit. That like, was Colin Farrell in that one. That there was just his... came a point where I didn't even show up. Like I was just <laughs> like, I'm Oliver Stone. I'm good. Like, I don't need to see it. I'm curious about Snowden. That's his, one of his more recent ones. It's kind of back to being political again. So I'm curious if, you know, because he's being political, he actually, you know, says his <laughs> thesis with the movie rather than like with the style. I don't know. Well, I think in the case of the doors, I think it's a vibe that fits him. Well, yes. I mean, you know, a band, uh, frontlined by a madman, <laughs> right. Uh, heavily into drug use, uh, at a time of strife and kind of craziness. Like it, it that fits. Right. I well, think yeah. I, you know, Vietnam, that fits. It's a mess. <laughs> you know, JFK, that fits. It's like the number one conspiracy theory ever. Right. The, I think that stuff works for him. Football? A football game? <laughs> like, you didn't know? Like, it right. doesn't really call for, like, this crazy vibe, but okay. You know, it's interesting is I, I read or listened to his uh, autobiography, the uh, which was really interesting. Because uh, he only goes through like his first like six movies, including the ones he wrote. And so I did like a little film festival, uh, you know, an Oliver Stone film festival and watched all of his early stuff up to the doors, which I wanted to say for hold up because I've been wanting to do this one for years. And it was interesting because I had never seen his like super early works. I'd started with like Platoon, but I saw uh, Salvador, which I really liked. I really enjoyed that. Maybe I think I like better than Platoon now. And then I saw his horror movie, The Hand, which I don't <laughs> wow. know. It, it's about I mean nothing about that. You know, oh, it's Michael Caine as a comic book artist who loses his hand in an accident. And then the whole movie, you think it's like, oh, his hand is going around and killing people. You know, it sounds like <laughs> schlock. But really, the movie is not about that. It's kind of about, well, somebody's killing all these people. He thinks it's his hand, but it's probably not. He's just probably crazy, right? So that's that's kind of the vibe. And I mean, it's done in an 80s, like, low-budget style. So it's actually kind of, you know, you look at it and it's like, it looks like Friday the 13th, but you're like, this is kind of smarter. And it's a little, got a little more sense of humor than I would have thought from okay. hearing the, the log line. And his first movie, which I think is called Seizure, is terrible. <laughs> oh, Man, I know nothing about Seizure. I haven't even seen that. Uh, Herve Veliches, the guy from Fantasy Island, he's in it. Oh, okay. Gotcha. Uh, before we get into you know getting ready to go watch this thing, I do need to pay honor to <laughs> one 
Kathleen Quinlan, who is <laughs> appearing in the doors in a three-peat of, of hold-up appearances. I know. Uh, kind of wild. She was, of course, in Event Horizon and then featured last month in Breakdown. Now appears in the doors. Now, I bring it up because while she's not in the movie a lot, um, I did mention that I saw this in high school. <laughs> now, with my mother. So, you know, take with that what you will. <laughs> That's but, true. I'd forgotten about all the other stuff that happens yeah, in this movie. I think my mom like didn't remember the like very graphic, at least at the time. I'm sure now it's fine. But I remember this was one of the like earlier like graphic sex scenes I've seen in a movie. There's this moment, if I recall, Kathleen Quinlan is playing like a news reporter and they're at some press conference and Jim Morrison's giving her the like fuck eyes <laughs> and they just they kind of flirt and this just cuts to to like this weird scene. It's not the like it's not a sexy scene where they're like intimate and like if I remember he's like crazy music's playing. It's Camarina Barana, right? Oh <laughs> yes, yes, you're yeah. right. It is Camarina Barana. Caliber zone that we, that we had on here. Yeah, so it's like Satan music and right. stuff like And then he, I remember she's like lying naked and Jim Morrison like dives like an Olympic diver like onto her yeah. and just starts just violently like having sex with her and his bare ass is hanging out and like, <laughs> and this, so this is of course the thing I remember the most in this movie. Uh, and I just remember being like, whoa. Like, cause, I, cause I'd seen like sex scenes before, but right. I've never seen this like animalistic just rage sex that was like crazy <laughs> drug induced like nuttiness right so uh not that i have much else to say about it other than that that's a memory i have yeah well that was one of the interesting things because like i said i went to see this in high school with my high school friends and i was the student director of the school play a truly awful play that i don't know where the the real director found it but it was like a a, a 12 Angry Men rip off because our school didn't want to pay the fucking royalties <laughs> on 12 Angry Men or something. Okay. So I, and, and he uh, had basically left me to my own devices. Usually the student director, quote unquote, basically just sat there and like took notes and stuff. He liked me for whatever reason. So he's like, well, I'm just going to go fuck off and snort coke in my office and, you know, you can direct <laughs> this thing. And so I did. But it was weird to be at a, you know, at this movie, seeing all this stuff on the one hand, getting all this like input and all this like sensory, like, oh my God, the door is my new favorite band or whatever. And then on the other hand, be like, I hope some of these kids are old enough to be seeing this. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it really like stuck with me. Like I say, I still am a Doors fan to this day. And I haven't seen the movie. I can't, like, this was one of the movies on the original list of like, hey, when we start this podcast, what are we going to watch? So that means it's been at least six years. And I don't even remember how long it was before that. Wow. So I think for me, it's been much longer. I mean, I saw it in high school, like I said, in the in the 90s, and I've maybe only seen it one more time. If that I might not even that might have mm. been like the one and only I I think. Gotcha. So it's been very. So, yeah, I re like I remember the him singing on Ed Sullivan. I remember the sex <laughs> scene. I remember drugs in the desert. I The only other thing I remember is a very common scene in these biopics which is sort of like hey this song ain't working man like what you know what should we do and they're like on the beach and then the guy's like dude i got an idea what about this oh it's not the one i thought yeah and then they're like that's it dude you nailed it you know like just just the like origin story of the big famous thing we all know right uh that's i remember that scene actually the thing i remember also being impressed by was the star-studded cast i mean that even back then oliver stone was starting to do this sure. but like yeah kyle mclaughlin was one of the guys uh um, oh, no shit really oh yeah he's he's uh ray manzarek no kidding yeah wow Kevin Dillon, Matt Dillon's younger brother, is oh, the drummer. Wow. Oh, my God. I forget who plays the guitarist. I must have just not known at the time I saw this. I think he might. I, I don't remember specifically. I'm probably going to be wrong about this. He's the kid from Pulp Fiction. Wait, not the Frank guy. Frank Whaley, is that his name? Is this the guy from Swimming with Sharks? Yes. Okay, yeah, I don't I remember his name. I think he may be the guitarist. Okay. So that's the four. And then, of course, there's all kinds of other, you know, got Kathleen Quinlan. Meg Ryan is in it as his oh, wife. Wow. Well, that's a Top Gun reunion. Basically, <laughs> that's true. I didn't even think about that. <laughs> well, Nelson, I 
I think we've come to the big question, which yeah. is, uh, you know, you saw it twice in a row when it first came out and yeah. uh, speak very fondly of it. So do you think the doors will hold up? I don't know. I loved it so much as I was a young man. But there's mm. something about that era of Oliver Stone that I'm like, you can see the heavy hand of Oliver <laughs> Stone peeking through. God, I'm going to say optimistically that it holds up. I remember really, really digging it. Okay. Man. I, I think it's going to hold up, too, really, because I don't have no reason to believe it won't. <laughs> like, as much as I'm shitting on Oliver Stone, like, I, I have no, not a bad memory about the movie. I remember really enjoying watching it. The cast sounds great. I love The Doors. I mean, uh, frankly... It could be kind of a subpar movie. You just <laughs> kick it on those songs and it'll like probably be all right. Right. Like, you know, those yeah. are good ass songs. Well, I mean, Val Kilmer got like such a claim at the time. Even people who didn't like the movie were still like, but I mean, he's Jim Morrison. There's no doubt about it. He <laughs> right. is Jim Morrison. So I, I get the feeling what we're going to see, even if the movie, you know, kind of lets us down, he'll be great. Fantastic. Well, we're going to drop that acid real good and let it kick in right around 30 minutes from now as we watch The Doors, and we will be right back. Is everybody in? Is everybody in? The ceremony is about to begin. You know the day destroys the night. Night divides the Sides day. Sides are being chosen. The planet is screaming for change, Morrison. we got to make the myths. I'm the Lizard King. I can do anything. Jim Morrison, the god of rock. The guys at Network have told us that they have a little problem with the lyric, girl, we couldn't get much higher. They asked if you could say instead, girl, we can't get much better. Can you dig that? Girl, we couldn't get much higher. I love it when you sing to me. I'm the poet and you're my muse. Try drinking blood. Mr. Morrison, you got too far. You're a poet, not a rock star. What you gonna do for act three? Go on, kill me. Come on, give me some death. Let's just say I was testing the bounds of reality. All the time, <laughs> I had a dream of vision. <laughs> I feel like I've been on drugs maybe for a couple hours. Good lord! Was- subtle, subtle film. <laughs> Underplayed, you know. Really, yeah, it just—they <laughs> really want you to like reach out and grasp the meaning. They're not—they're not whacking you over the head with it or nothing. <laughs> to say there's a couple of movies that so i to be put it completely out there i am uh, fairly straight edged i uh, don't really use <laughs> drugs or abuse alcohol in any way i don't really have a sense for what that feels like except when perhaps i watch this movie and maybe like fear and loathing in las vegas <laughs> i think they give me this idea of like okay i kind of feel like i know what this is like uh, I mean, I don't know, maybe not, but it's just, I, yeah, just like a kind of head trip, just crazy ride. I Well, give the movie that. It was certainly like, if you wanted to experience the world from Jim Morrison's eyes, the movie is probably the closest you're going to get, which is just hazy and bloated and <laughs> colors flashing and Native American shaman popping up out of the corner <laughs> of your eye and... What's funny oh, is man. like I, I so the movie starts out you know fairly normal like a like a sort of a normal movie and then we had sort of talked about scenes we remembered <laughs> and I had certainly remembered you know the sort of vision quest into the desert and it's very Oliver Stone. What I had neglected to remember <laughs> is it like the movie just kind of goes that direction and then never really 
comes back to any sort of like traditional narrative like it just basically becomes like a drug fueled like crazy time yeah i mean i i hadn't really noticed that there's not a story (laughs) (laughs) which is interesting because i think you could i mean i'm i'm sure somebody could argue that you know, life doesn't really follow a, a through line or a you know a, a three act structure. So he sort of fades in and out the whole movie. It's like, oh, <laughs> yes. one second he's in court, then the next he's in a, at a concert, and you know he's just sort of like, yeah, okay, whatever. But I don't know. There's something to there's something to that, and then there's something about that that's like, well, we could have trimmed this down a little bit. Uh, yes, <laughs> yes, I will say that was one thing. I I was it was clipping along just fine, and I was really into it, and then. By the tail end, I was like, you could easily cut like 45 minutes out of this movie (laughs) when no one would notice. You know, I think uh, 10 minutes out of like the Banshee Bonfire Fuck Fest or like eight minutes out of the, you know, crowd. It's I think that's the thing. Those those scenes are all fine. But there's a very, like, sameness to them. Yeah. Like, it's like, okay, he's ranting like a lunatic at the concert. And then he's ranting like a lunatic at the kid's birthday party. And he's ranting <laughs> like a lunatic to his many wives. And, I, and, and it's like, it, it, it just sort of hits this third act that just never stops. Yeah. And, which I, I don't know. In a way, I... I not to disparage it, I don't think it's like necessarily a mistake. Like it, it, it yeah. seems uh, accurate to that time <laughs> and kind of the 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 aimless kind of crazy time that that was in. Yeah. Well, also I can I I you know as we were watching, I'm remembering myself as a kid, and I felt a little more detached as a you know as an adult because. Obviously, now that I'm, you know, 20, 30 years older than I was when I saw this movie the first time, I can see like this appealing to a young man who has not seen much of the world and is like, oh, fuck, is this what life is like? This is going to be great. (laughs) I'm going to go to my first rock and roll show and man, it's going to be just like this. Coincidentally, my first rock and roll show was very much like The Doors because it was a Guns N' Roses concert. Oh, wow. (laughs) At the height of the crowd was angry and they were late. Yes, exactly. Booing the shit out of them. Axel Rose was late. Women were stripping down for no good reason. (laughs) You know, drugs and and alcohol were everywhere. And I just was like, is it going to be like this every time? (laughs) And it wasn't. But but yeah, it was interesting to be like, oh, that's interesting that it would appeal so much to a younger guy and be like, oh, man, the, you know, the mystique and, you know, the the epicness, because now. 30 years later I'm looking and it's like yeah it's still got that epic feel to it but you know it's the world seems much smaller in it to me now I would say although the concerts were big that was I will say even those were cool even when they were repetitious it was still kind of the best part of the movie those giant crowd scenes and the giant concerts and him just fucking wandering in and out of coherence (laughs) and (laughs) my favorite parts are when he's like singing along and then he's sort of like looks up and then everything goes dead silent and then he decides to say something stupid like you're all a bunch of slaves <laughs> fucking his band is, his bandmates are just like oh shit here we go and they keep trying to restart the music and he won't sing right. <laughs> he does kind of seem like the original troll in a right. way like you know just right out the gate he's just like mom I wanna fuck you <laughs> and everyone's like the fuck's this guy saying and I do yeah. appreciate that every time he would start you know cause he got super pretentious quite a few times be like i'm the poet and you're my muse and <laughs> all this fucking hippie shit and i'd start rolling my eyes and then he'd be like nah i like money and drugs i love being a rock and roll star because i get free shit and it's like okay well makes sense check right. out yeah i think my oddly enough i don't know why but one of my favorite parts of the movie is they're in the studio uh, trying to record their album and of course it's going terrible and jim morrison's like drunk off assassin We've seen him act a damn fool for like well over an hour. And then he's like in a haze, like looks at the TV and then they're on the television is a commercial that is using a light my fire. Right. In like a jingly like elevator song. Yeah. It's like, come on, baby, light my fire. (laughs) Yeah. Like some gong show. Yeah. And um, I guess this happened like without he was probably too drunk to talk about or something. But he turns to his bandmates and he's like, what the fuck (laughs) is this in this like how? 
dare you <laughs> disparage the doors in this way this is the most unprofessional shit i've ever seen and he's like reading them the riot act like he, they've betrayed the sacred pact of like right. and the whole time i'm just like dude you have like just fucked off like this whole time and treated this all like yeah and totally didn't give a shit about and five it. minutes earlier he trapped his girlfriend in a closet and <laughs> yeah. set it on fire like he's and now really an attempted murderer and, and now he's mad that they sold out <laughs> it's like holy shit man you've kind of gone like five steps beyond <laughs> the selling out boy oh yeah although i do love that he ends this scene with like fuck it let's keep the money machine rolling and then he goes back to work <laughs> oh my god see that was the stuff i you know what is a kid i was like this is fascinating is this how every move every, uh, every record is made because this is great oh shit. well i mean despite all the craziness there like it did it, within the trappings of all the psychedelic crazy stuff like it followed the fairly traditional arc of these kind of you know band movies or famous person movies it's the like young genius rise to fame you know incredibly talented here come the blood sucking you know parasites <laughs> that feed them drugs and want sex from them or whatever and then by the end he's like a shell of a man right you know totally used lots of abuse of women and like treating your spouse like absolute trash <laughs> and just be and, and then my favorite they always have this like they're always hanging up the towel like it's over and then these people that have hated each other's guts it's always like I'm gonna miss you, man. <laughs> that was a hell of a ride. You know? <laughs> Just like, yeah, they skipped uh, a, a giant portion where it's like he's on trial one second, then he's like, right. and he's watching the images of Manson in Vietnam. He's like, I'm having a nervous breakdown, and it feels like I'm having a nervous right. breakdown watching it. It's it's a very well constructed uh, sequence because you're like, I'm I'm in overload myself. So then he has this moment. And then you're like, okay, so this is where he starts the healing process. And it's like, the healing process goes right to like, yeah, I'm moving to Paris because I got to get out of America. I'm, you know, quitting the band. And they're like, oh, we got the best record we've had in years. And then he dies. And <laughs> I mean, it just like suddenly just skips to the end. It was like, I, you know, and again, I think it was probably smarter than just like, and then he went on trial and he didn't do so hot, but he didn't really go to jail. And, you know, he kind of got fat and nobody gave a <laughs> shit. And they put out an album and everybody's like, oh yeah, the doors are back, uh, whatever. And he goes to Paris and turns 27 and dies like all good <laughs> rock stars. <laughs> yeah, that's a weird one too. It's just like, uh, it's interesting because the whole movie, he keeps dropping this image of, of his wife or his girlfriend, Pamela Morrison, uh, coming up on his dead carcass in the bathtub. Yep. And they keep sort of reminding you throughout the movie that this happens. Like you keep getting closer and closer to the bathtub, which is an interesting visual technique. And I kind of like it. And then when it happens, it's like, oh, that is shit. But again, there's no like, there's no like, he doesn't, you don't get to see him living in Paris, for example. There's, it, there's no sure. real like denouement. It just sort of screeches to a halt. He hops off the train and then apparently dies a heart failure from being too content or something. You know what I mean? It's a, <laughs> well, I assume in the drugs he continued using, uh, right? Probably, I, you know, yes. probably be it. The hair on. I, I, it kind of works for me because, uh, well, okay. So there's two things that um, that uh, Oliver Stone does in the movie that are, are very like big message type stuff. One of which I really enjoy, and one of which I don't. I'll get to the one we're talking about now, which I do enjoy. Which is, yes, you're right. And even though there's not like a very clear ending other than him dying, it's a huge theme throughout the whole movie, this idea that he's, he's almost fated to die in this way. <laughs> right. Like, not only are they showing this over and over again, but it's like fucking every other scene. He's talking about death or he's hanging out of a hotel you know window and then right. the first night with meg ryan he's like basically says death makes me horny like <laughs> i love you know i fucking love death, oh, death so is great. once you die you don't feel pain anymore you know like it's <laughs> such a clear emo kid oh yes so that that to me i liked thematically it was just like okay this is like he's obsessed with this this is where he's sort of headed um the the other sort of motif that I am not really sure how I feel about it, and maybe it's just a little outdated, is this, like, <laughs> he's a Native American shaman-like thing going on, where at the beginning of the movie, 
they have this scene I, I the validity of which i have no clue about i don't know if this is real or just total I, th- I think it is i think it's one of those things that morrison talked about okay. actually seeing so, so he you know cherry picked something out of something <laughs> but like it's jim morrison as a child driving across the country with his family in in like the 1949 and there's a wreck on the side of the road, and these Native Americans have had some sort of car crash, and there's a, a very elderly Native American with, like, a head injury who's sort of dying. And and child Jim Morrison sees this, and then there's this scene where his mother goes. By the way, the child, I believe, is Oliver Stone's son. Yes, his actual son. Uh, which is interesting. But the, the, mo- the mother in the scene goes like, it's just a dream, Jim. It's just a dream. Just a dream. And this shit comes back, like, constantly. Like, it's just every other rock scene or whatever, you know, they're, like, appearing like magic, you know, in the in the in Jim Morrison seeing them. <laughs> At one point in particular, he's, like, doing a sort of Native American, like, shaman dance in the middle of a huge concert. And then all suddenly, one, there's, like, a... Um, audience member who seems native american and is this the the shaved headed man no well no this is actually a woman i'm thinking about is sitting there like watching approvingly she actually seems to be in reality actually there okay and seems to like kind of nod like yes he is doing it and then like shows her tit for like no reason and it's like okay and then and then like the magic not their ghost native americans are like dancing with him and you see the old man with his bloody head and all and it's like i get what he's doing because jim morrison was into that stuff like into all this kind of weird i mean obviously we see him basically become a satanist or whatever else <laughs> is going on like he was clearly into some weird shit yes well i think he was fascinated by the native american you know yeah. the mystic tales so not I, the... I get why he's doing it i don't think it's totally unfounded but i was definitely kind of like Come on, man. Like, I don't know. It just didn't quite work for me. Well, I think this is one of those things that, like, Morrison liked it. Maybe it's how Oliver Stone got turned on to it. And this is him going, like, finally, I can merge these two things that I love. Jim Morrison and his love of Native American mystic tales. And he puts it together. And if it wasn't for the fact that Oliver Stone, like, took it and used it in, like, seven other movies, then I'd be like, okay, well, it's contained in this movie it, it makes more sense, but he really just kind of, you know, it's in Natural Born Killers, right. it's in a couple other things right. where it's like, you know, this, you know, indigenous religious, you know, experience. It's like, well, obviously you were profoundly touched by whatever it was you were originally inspired by, but it just, you keep grafting it onto everything. Again, Morrison on its own, fine for me, but, you know, every other movie it keeps coming back. So it's like, well, this is obviously an obsession with you. And, and you know, again, maybe you could have pulled back then if we knew you were going to do it eight more times <laughs> so but i actually didn't i didn't mind that stuff because i knew morrison was into that whole mysticism thing and it, it made sense with the movie i also like there was another um like i said before there's a, a guy sort of hovering in jim morrison's line of sight every so often like this shaved headed guy who just keeps yeah sort of popping up and you can't tell if he's really there and like a car like he's in new york with uh uh what's his name um andy warhol's crew and uh, as they're walking in the street, a, a, a horse and buggy passes by and the guy tips his hat and it's the same guy. And you're like, oh, is he, wait, is he a guy or is he the angel of death or what's going on <laughs> right. here? Didn't he have like a skull face or something? He had kind of, well, he, some it, kind of makeup on his face. Sometimes. Yeah. every so It would depend on, the, he would look different in different contexts. But I, I liked how he sort of kept hovering around the edges. I thought that was a nice touch. And then at the end, you know, Pamela sees him when Jim dies. And I thought, mm-hmm. well, that that works. That that part of that, you know, mysticism thing, I sure. think, works out. Uh, you you mentioning, like, maybe he's death. I, I could see that. I mean, right. that would certainly fit. <laughs> it's just, uh, again, it's a lot of things together. A lot of mysticism together. <laughs> <laughs> I had forgotten, by the way, speaking of Andy Warhol, Crispin Glover is in it. Yes. As, and he is who I think of when I think of Andy Warhol. I have yeah. seen... That was pitch perfect casting yeah. frankly like. i have seen andy warhol footage of andy warhol and i still think of crispin glover <laughs> when i think of andy warhol it definitely fits I, I will say i did appreciate that the movie allowed him to be just like an absolute piece of shit like you know what i mean like usually in the movies where the rock star does a lot of drugs and does bad things there's like this level of remorse right or sort of oh man i'm sorry i'm gonna get better like 
I had no illusions <laughs> that Jim Morrison was just kind of a piece of shit. Like, right. like, I, it, like, there's this there's this horrifying scene where his uh, wife opens an elevator to find him being blown by some by fan. Nico from the Velvet oh, Underground. That's right, right. <laughs> and uh, like, you know, normally that scene is like, oh my god, baby, I'm so sorry. Like, run after her. Like, it'll never happen again. <laughs> no, this is like, he sees her, sees the pain in her eyes, and just goes like, <laughs> And just, yeah, just starts you know? laughing like a demon. Yeah, and he was just like, remorseless. Like, he, he did not give a shit. Which, I, in a way, I can see why he's such an appealing, you know, front man and, like, character. Because right. he's just sort of unapologetically just id. Yes. Out there being nuts. Yes. Well, and it also helps when, you know, like that scene where he's like, you guys sold out for selling us off for money. And the other bandmates are like, well, you weren't here. And so we made a decision to <laughs> fuck off. And you're sort of like, well, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I kind of feel for the other members right. of the band who have to keep suffering through this guy. So it's like they might as well get their payday. Right. Right. So, I mean, yeah. You can tell at the concert. They just are like so fucking overdoing this. Where they're just like, <laughs> oh, all right, fine. It really is, though. I mean, there's a at the beginning, the, the other band members get kind of a little bit of a voice. And I was like, oh, maybe they're in this more than I remember. They are not. <laughs> <laughs> they have a little bit of a voice in the beginning, and then they just fade into the background, which is just like, on the one hand, it makes sense to focus on Jim Morrison, and you know, if you're going to go that way, then sure, why not? But it is like, you know, there's these three other guys who did the music, and it's like Jim Morrison, as far as I know, couldn't put a song together by himself. <laughs> he didn't write the music; he just, you know, he wrote the lyrics mostly. Sure. So it, it, you know, these three guys sort of being pushed to the background said, "Well, Jim Morrison's the one; he's the one everybody wants to fuck." So, <laughs> but it's like, well, I mean, you had to have something to start with. So, yeah, it's kind of a disservice, but it's also like, well, I get it. Uh, yeah, I mean, he's, he's the, like, super famous one. Uh, you know, it makes yeah. sense. They did give Kyle McLaughlin's character an interesting sort of arc because he seems the one most appreciative of Jim Morrison's talents early on. It, yes. it's There's, like, they're at film school, and he screens his, like, ridiculous, crazy student film, and everyone's like, the fuck is this bullshit? This pretentious yeah. bullshit, and they're absolutely right. It's the most pretentious <laughs> thing I've ever extremely seen. extremely pretentious, but I, you know, I can get behind it. I mean, it's film school. Yeah, of course. And then he's there like, don't listen to these motherfuckers. This is fucking brilliant. This is art. Yeah, and then later when they meet and form the band, he's like, man, I had a meeting with MGM they didn't even <laughs> fucking know who this film director was I asked him to screw <laughs> and then later on like when the jingle's been sold Jim Morrison's like the fuck man like and then he's just like hey there's a bigger picture <laughs> like, I just I liked it it's like oh okay like yeah you right I, I don't know if he was full of shit the whole time but it's it is that arc of like okay yeah he sold out sure well, like, I, you said something I think was appropriate to that. In the middle, you were like, <laughs> they were having some whacked-ass Thanksgiving where everybody's fucking <laughs> coked out of their minds and stabbing the turkey and stabbing each other. And, oh, my God, that was crazy. Tinted murder. Yeah, and everybody's... Ryan's wielding a fucking knife at him <laughs> and shit. Like... And Longino's like... Isn't it hilarious that these are the ones that grew up and gave us Trump? <laughs> <laughs> By the way, we figured out the same year that JFK came yes, out. That's right. We looked it up, and it was this did release prior to JFK, but it was the same year, which it, is this crazy. came out in March, like March first of nineteen ninety one. And I looked it up. They started production on JFK in April for a December release. I'm like, that's fucking insane. That's nuts. And that's not a short movie. No. Like, you know, that's not some 90-minute quickie. Like, that's <laughs> unbelievable. And it's all different. You know, that thing we're talking about where it's all different film stocks. Yep. And he's experimenting with, like, I mean, that was not easy to do back then to, no. like, slap all these different uh media types together so that on its own whether or not you think the movies are any good you know you got to kind of take a bow to like these huge epics being made in less than a year yeah that's all a weird digression anyway <laughs> <laughs> but you know to the movie's credit i think it's interesting that it, it's showing us a time that neither of us really lived through but that we can we can sort of watch and get a lot out of like uh, you know i i think that's what's interesting about the movie to me is just how it seems to capture that like concert crazy 
Yeah. It, it, better than most movies I've yes. seen, you know, where you can sort of, especially, especially the angry crowd and him like <laughs> riling them up and shitting on them. Like I've been to concerts where like a crowd's gone kind of bad. Right. And it can be a little scary and that's not often depicted in a movie. So I, I found that interesting. Yeah. Oh, but yeah, there was like a couple more people we missed. There was Michael Madsen as some random like pornish star or something like yeah, that. Yeah, they said, I mean, here's the thing. I know I don't know a ton about Andy Warhol and his history, but if I recall, they said he was in Andy Warhol films. Yeah, probably so naked I, and run yeah, around. And probably. There's the guy who plays their manager, Paul Rothschild, Michael Wincott, whose name I don't ever remember, but he's also he was also the guy in Robin Hood who's like, why a spoon, cousin? Yes. <laughs> there was a, you know, the guy who played Ed Sullivan apparently in every movie of the time <laughs> played Ed Sullivan. Yeah, there would just be like a bunch of, oh, there's that. Titus Wellover played the cop who maced Jim Morrison in the face. <laughs> that was uh, random. Right. Uh, but by the way, I have to say another thing I sort of experienced watching the movie, as I as I recalled uh, before we watched it, this film was shown to be my my mom. And I didn't really think much of it at the time. But, now, you know, now as a, as a parent to my own child and like seeing the movie, I was... <laughs> pretty impressed that, that she like rolled them on this one you know that I, I i don't think it's i mean that's great like my parents wouldn't be bothered by this movie and they were totally fine with me watching it but i don't think that would be the case for most people right it's a pretty out there crazy movie i mean even for a high schooler you know yeah there's some wild shit in that movie well yeah i mean at the very least it has that whole like summer of love ethos where like everybody's just <laughs> dropping trow every five sure. seconds i mean there was nudity male and female all over the place and i was sort of impressed by that too because it's like well makes sense mm -hmm. <laughs> there was that orgy or not the orgy <laughs> the you know the blood fucking scene where uh yeah, yeah. kathleen quinlan and fucking val kilmer go Go at it to go. Yeah. I, so I remembered a lot of that. I did not remember that they were literally doing like a Wiccan ritual where they were cutting their own skin and drinking each other's blood and stuff, which is like, yeah, no wonder I, I remembered that shit. It's fucking crazy. It's fucking nuts. You said that the woman who Kathleen Quinlan is portraying is like in the movie when they're getting sort of like yeah she's like getting married or yeah, whatever she, like, she's the wiccan priestess or whatever who marries oh well I, I let me take that back that was one of the women i guess uh as portrayed by kathleen quinlan she's sort of an amalgam of like oh, two or three it. women surprise, one of which surprise. yeah exactly <laughs> yeah. you mean jim morrison got more than one woman knocked up randomly he had a whole coven of like wiccan wives basically <laughs> right. like okay yeah um <laughs> That was the other thing, too, is I was like, man, this guy just, like, got around. So I was like, he didn't, he never had any kids. And I guess not even accidentally never had any kids. Wasn't there a scene in the movie where, I guess, Meg, did Meg Ryan end up getting an abortion or whatever? There, there was a scene where it's Oh, like, no, Kathleen Quinlan was the one who came oh, to him. Oh, yeah. that's right. That's right. She comes to him and says, I'm going to have your kid. He's going to yeah. be a god. I guess she had a miscarriage. Yeah. It's it's actually, actually, now that I think about it, that's so strange that they have a scene in the movie where it's like, are we or are we going to not have this baby? And then it's or just left out there. And then like they don't unresolved. tell you. Yeah, that's kind yeah. of weird that you have to do your own research to find <laughs> out because that's kind of a big scene, especially since it's near the end and yeah. near his breakdown. Definitely. It sort of contributes to his breakdown, actually. It's the thing that happens right before he goes nuts, so to speak. Although maybe that's the whole thing in the movie that they... That, that's sort of the unspoken truth, which is like, well, Jim Morrison kind of suffered from anxiety. So the drugs and the alcohol yeah. and all that was supposed to calm down the I, anxiety. Frankly, because they have him as a child seeing this car accident. It right. seems to be positing this idea that, like, he never recovered from that or is just yeah. forever a child. I think it's telling that he's at, like, a kid's birthday party, you know wearing a native american headdress <laughs> and and that's like the, our last kind of view of him before he goes to paris to die right well it's also him at his most innocent that he's been in like an hour and a half that's in the true. movie it's like him playing with kids and goofing around i, I just gotta say also whoever was the parent at that party i've seen this man in his thanksgivings like he would not <laughs> be allowed at my daughter's birthday ever well <laughs> it was ray it was uh uh ray manzarek's yeah 
he daughter. fucked up. Like, this, <laughs> you don't let. Yeah, uh, nah, it was nah. the 70s, man. <laughs> we fucking smoked and drank and fucked at our kids' birthday parties. <laughs> uh, he is. He's sitting there with Jim Beam just like downing it or whatever it is. Like, I think that was Comfort or whatever. <laughs> He's just downing it like right at the kids' table. It's yep. crazy. Yeah. And smoking a cigar. That's, you know, oh, yeah. talk about a sign of the time. And of course, nobody at that time would have been like, hey, Jim, you want to put out your cigar? They'd be like, hey, pass that over. <laughs> and I'll blow smoke in my kid's face so we can get used to it. <laughs> Well, regardless, is there any other thing about the movie you want to talk about? Or? I'm trying to think if there's... I, it's just... It just washes over you, which is, I mean, probably yeah. to its credit. It just... I mean, you, you think to yourself that something like that... It did seem long in spots, but it's also like... But it never, like, stopped. That was the no, thing. It kept, no. like, kind of going in, like... I was trying to think of another movie that did that, that I saw recently. Oh, uh, Goodfellas. Goodfellas kind of the same way. It's like... Sure. Each scene you think is like... You know, when, when Ray Liotta talks about, oh, I love being a gangster. Hey, you know, when I was a kid, I wanted to be a gangster. I used to hang out at the cab stand. You think, oh, he's going to start talking about the cab stand. No, then he just starts talking about something else. Like, every scene is teasing something that you never quite get to. Right. So it's almost like his story is being told, and someone's like, oh, it's fucking great. They was at this concert, and then Jim went fucking crazy, and then he had a breakdown, and then he wanted to go get tacos. <laughs> <laughs> it's just like stream of consciousness yeah. thing. So, uh, Also, to be clear, when we say that it feels long, I think you would often equate it's too long with, like, it's boring. Mm. I wouldn't say that's the case for this movie. It's not like, oh, man, I'm getting bored. This is really long. No. It's, it's more like a fatigue. Yeah, it's because it is not boring. It's actually like gets kind of exhausting at times where yeah. you're, you, you almost want to break from it. Yeah. And so for it to be so lengthy with that, by the end, you're kind of like, man, I don't I don't know how much more of crazy Jim Morrison I can take tonight. Like, I kind of need a breather. That kind of speaks to, though, again, my, you know, if you're an adrenalized youth and it, you know, oh, that yeah. two and a half hours, you're like, ah, give me more. You know, <laughs> put the shit in my vein. This is amazing. I can do this again tomorrow night. I can totally see. I mean, shit, you did. Yeah, you I did. ran and saw it again. So. Yeah, so it, it, it I, I, I do see the, uh, the adrenaline that it could provoke in a younger man <laughs> who didn't have to work in the morning. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, Nelson, the older man, uh, you know, now that you've seen it again after all these many years, do you think the doors held up? I do think it held up. I would say that, like I said, it doesn't have the the adrenaline fueled juice that it gave me as a kid i looked at i was able to look at it more as a movie and i didn't have the pangs of nostalgia that i was expecting to have i just mm. figured i was like gonna love this just because you know my my um my memory was telling me to love it or my body memory was telling me to love it but i was like oh this is a good movie but it's interesting i feel a little more detached so yeah i think it's a good movie i think it holds up there's things about it now that i would you know i have notes <laughs> sure, but I, sure. I still enjoyed it. I don't even know if that it's my favorite Oliver Stone movie anymore. I'll have to think that one over because hmm. I would have, if you would have asked me, I would have said this may be one of my favorites or this might be my favorite. And now it may have moved down the list. I'm not entirely sure, but I will say it holds up. Okay. Um, I, I actually would agree. I think, I think it does hold up, uh, you know, despite our reservations about the length and about <laughs> some of the, you know, kind of tone and stuff uh, being, I don't want to say one note, but like there's a lot of drunk Jim Morrison. So if you want to watch that, <laughs> strap in and watch The Doors. Like it's still quite a good movie. It's made incredibly well. Yes. Like, and, and and I don't know if it's necessarily Oliver Stone's like best film. I, I would agree with you on that. But it's like very well directed and well put together. It, it, you know, it might be one of his best like shot movies, honestly. Like it, it, it seems thoughtful well it seems in a like, way that's kind of unique for oliver stone well yeah it seems like everything was done to a purpose and like yeah. it wasn't just like well let's get this shot of the wall and maybe i'll throw it in for good minute it just seemed like everything was done on purpose yeah <laughs> which I mean, doesn't always feel that way in his movies even the way he kind of uh he and his cinematographer used the camera where like the drunker and crazier it got the wobblier and like wilder the andy warhol party which is like the most 60s drugged out scene. You know, it, that thing is like fucking rocking like you're on Noah's Ark. Yeah, or whatever. It, like, if, if it ever stops, it stops at a yeah, Dutch angle. Yeah, <laughs> it's just, just wild angles and just kind of teeter-tottering back and forth. I really appreciate that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, and I think it's well worth watching. So, uh, yes, The Doors 
help. So yeah, if you got two hours, 40 minutes to spare, <laughs> crank it up. Absolutely. Well, uh, Nelson, thank you for uh, reopening the door on the doors. <laughs> You're welcome. I appreciate that. Um, in the meantime, uh, stay tuned later this month for our holiday special. Yeehaw. Where we are going to watch the Star Wars holiday special. And I, I don't know if we mentioned this before, but we are going to have special guest Ray Morton return for that. Oh, shit. Ray's back I'm in the very house. very excited about. Yes. Always love it when Ray stops by. So be sure to uh, tune in for that. Uh, as for next year, as we continue, uh, we will let you all know what we're doing next. Yeah, we have When we post it. our next episode. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you'll know when we know. But uh, just so you know, coming uh, either this month or, or right at the top of uh, 2022, we got a three-part catch-up coming oh, your way. Yes. So we're in lots of special guests for that. one. Oh, my so. God. It's like a huge uh, it's a block party. No uh, reveal yet as to what it is. But let's just say that the sun is rising on it and perhaps <laughs> it might set at the end of it. We'll see. <laughs> mm. It's Fiddler on the Roof. Anyway, uh, <laughs> you should guess before <laughs> the next episode. Yes. Uh, in the meantime, if you'd like to send us an email with questions or comments or suggestions for future episodes, you can email us at holduppodcast at gmail.com. Or you can visit our website, holduppodcast.com, where you will find links to our Facebook page or Instagram page or Twitter page, all of that great stuff. And until next time, I am the Lizard King. I can do anything. Ha, ha, ha.